Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Welcome to Skylines, the Cinematic Podcast. I'm John. And this week we are going to talk about the exciting topic of the English Midlands. I'm joined by my colleagues from the New Statesman's very own podcast, Helen Lewis and Stephen Bush. Hello. I don't like that note of sassiness about the Midlands, John. I think you'll find the Midlands are extremely interesting. Helen is here because she's the only person in the office who is from the Midlands, Represent. as far as I can tell. So, yeah, but you're not, you're not from, like, the proper Midlands. You're not from, like, the bit we're actually meant to be talking about. You're not from, like, you know, you're not a Brummie, is what I'm getting at. <gasps> well, this is exactly the problem with the Midlands, is that Birmingham really dominates them to an extent more than, you know, um, other cities, I think. Maybe when we talk about the Metro mayors, I guess probably Liverpool, people who live around Liverpool have exactly this complaint as well, right? That everyone gets sucked into being a Scouser even when they've got their own regional identity. But if you're from Worcester, as I am, then people do seem to think that you're a Brummie when they're kind of completely different places. I mean, Birmingham was where we went on the train on a Saturday because it was the bright lights, big city, right? Everywhere else does feel a lot sleepier, even if it now does have a Nando's, which Worcester didn't have when I was growing up. To continue my trend of whenever I'm on the City Metric podcast, getting a new group of people to write angry letters to me. I mean, the difference is, though, in terms of other people in the the West Midlands, which I imagine will form the bulk of this conversation, feel overshadowed by Birmingham, is unlike everywhere else, which feels overshadowed by their nearby city, people in the Midlands get to pick the government. So I I kind of feel a little bit like, you know, if people in Worcester are going, oh, poor me, we've only picked who runs this country every election since the beginning of recorded time. One of the interesting differences between this mayoralty and the others, right, is that there is a problem of accountability in this country, that because we're so centralised, if you are the southwest or, you know, the west of England or, or the kind of weird Anglia mayor or, or Manchester or, or, or Greater Liverpool, a lot of the time you vote and then someone else imposes all of your decisions on you from Whitehall. Whereas... The West Midlands doesn't have that dynamic. Yeah, but that just means we're all unhappy. I mean, I agree with you. So Worcester had a Labour MP elected in 1997. It's the point here. Yeah, well, everything's always my fault. And then went back to the Tories in 2010, and, um, and actually um, Robin Walker doubled his majority in 2015. So it is an extremely good bellwether. And there are interesting Lib Dem Labour marginals. Um, Jess Phillips' seat of Birmingham Yardley was a Lib Dem until 2015, right? Gisela Stewart's got some... T- relatively small majority i mean laurelie burt used to have a t- wafer thin in majority uh, um, solid hole's a bit a bit weird um yeah i've been there it's much my sister lives there don't it's not weird it's lovely it's really nice um, just because it's a bit weird because it doesn't do some of the usual sort of west midlands 
things than you would expect in elections. For instance, it was Lib Dem for all. Can we, can we pull back a bit and just explain why the Midlands gets to pick the government? I mean, I know you mean, like, literally there's a lot of marginal constituencies there, but just why would that be true? I mean, just because there are a lot of marginal constituencies there, it's a fairly... I was really hoping for an explanation rather than repeating the sentence I just said, I just, if I'm honest. I just don't really know what other explanation... John's sassy on his own podcast, what isn't other, he? Yeah, like... You don't come into my house and... But also because it's 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 not a block vote, right? No, no, no. no. I just I don't know what explanation it is you were expecting. Like, why does a swing state get to pick the U.S. president? Because there are swing states. I could give I mean, you I could give you an explanation for why Pennsylvania is a swing state. I can I can do that. So you know, but, come on. Yeah, step but up. demographically, I think the West Midlands is really interesting, right? So I mean, maybe this is something that we can come to later. But it is an area of sort of strange industrial decline but also the one that has embraced the service sector quite with quite some alacrity and actually one of the interesting things i found reporting from worcester in 2015 was how much it felt it had bounced back from the financial crisis and that's something that kind of came up again and again certainly the birmingham of now and the birmingham of my youth of the late 1990s is completely transformed in a way that i think most of the residents are really happy with the whole of the canal side ball ring it felt skanky. Even the city centre felt skanky in the late 1990s, and now it doesn't, right? It it's does got feel chain very restaurants, yeah. and most people, you know, a lot of people there can afford to go to their Jamie's Italian or their Zizi or whatever on a Saturday. There is just a kind Sorry, of. How, how did you pronounce Zizi's? Zizi. Okay, bold. Um, I mean. My Italian, as we all know, is. Ciao. Um, but yeah, but so that's what I think is really interesting is that it probably one of the reasons it maybe doesn't have such a distinct regional identity as it as the big northern cities is because it doesn't. There's not a kind of particular sense of loss or grievance about it. I think it's one. It's generally an area that has had a, a lot of changes to it, but ones that it's adapted to relatively well. It's not a place that feels a massive loss from a particular industry. Can I give you my Midlands economic fact? Yeah. Later than 1970s. Average wages in Birmingham were higher than in London. Well, that makes a, a, a lot be, be, of sense because there are a load of well-paying jobs in like the car industry or whatever, and the banking sector in London hadn't quite taken off yet. So it it, it, it kind of it hits bottom later than the north. Yeah, I think that's true. And if you think about the fact there are still car manufacturing in the Midlands, right? Um, you know, my dad worked uh, in a steelworks, and that was going until the the nineteen nineties. It, it, you know, it lost that kind of stuff quite late. But yeah, the, the, so the reason why they pick the government is and it is socially crunchy, uh, which means you have a v- variety of people of, of different income and economic backgrounds living relatively close together. And, and also it has a, uh, the conurbation has quite an interesting phenomena that it is one of the places where ethnic minority voters don't behave that differently to white voters, uh, which was really striking in the referendum, for instance, right? So one of the reasons why outer London has become more marginal is as ethnic minorities become more affluent, they move out, just as white voters did, but they do not become more Tory. And throughout the referendum, ethnic minorities voted differently from white voters with the same demographic tails. Other than in Birmingham, where if you were from an ethnic minority and you were from Birmingham, you voted along class, not race lines for the most part, which is why Birmingham narrowly went voted I think that's leave. about which, which ethnic minorities are well represented. Yeah. So Worcester, where I grew up, is very white, but it was predominantly Bangladeshi and Pakistani origin families. And I think that, you know, there was a great 
discussion about you know what the how the Daily Mail had basically knackered itself right by uh, in the same way that some of the you could say the Tory Party had because those some of those people would were culturally very conservative right and absolutely believed in the, all the kind of things that white middle class people of that uh, you know of, of the same background to them would but there was a kind of chip in that said well hang on a minute these people are not on our side right I think that's what there is a big kind of number of socially conservative Asian voters that who who don't like you say who don't act like for example African Caribbean descent families in London do yeah. I kind of feel like we're already falling into this trap of conflating Birmingham and the wider West Midlands conurbation and the Midlands as a region because there isn't there isn't really a good language for describing the middle one of those things which is did you go into any Birmingham suburbs I I've not not recently but I have like last year as you'll know because you're of course an avid reader of City Metric and indeed all my output I did do a whole series of pieces I have to edit some of your output I'm quite an avid reader of those bits yeah yeah well the the bits you didn't edit these ones I did do a series of pieces on on the West Midlands in which I went to Wolverhampton and Coventry and the places that you know you wouldn't necessarily uh, think of quite so much because I mean Birmingham is I, I feel like I should explain for anyone who doesn't know the region you've got Birmingham in the middle to the east, to the southeast, you've got Coventry. To the northwest, you've got Wolverhampton. And in between those places, you've got a bunch of suburbs, all of which deny being part of a Greater Birmingham and get very angry if you suggest that they are. What I really like is the existence of Nuneaton, because people in Nuneaton, when you say they're part of Coventry, get as angry as people from Coventry do when you say they're part of Birmingham. So there's a kind of like Russian doll effect. I mean, there's probably some place that gets really annoyed for being called part of Nuneaton. There is, there is genuinely a, a fiscal problem in Wolverhampton where... A lot, of, like there's actually quite a big uh, city economy in Wolverhampton, surprisingly so. But all the rich people who work there kind of commute in from like the Staffordshire and Shropshire towns around it, so they don't get counted in terms of the local work. So the council leader Roger Lawrence gets very, very angry that he feels Wolverhampton is being underplayed as an economic force when really but it's yeah, very important. Because I think the thing is always very striking. I think at least when you get on, because obviously I love a tram. When you get on the tram from, from Birmingham and, and during party conference, I always, as a treat to myself, book out some time to just get on, go the, on, tra- the, get on the tram. I do that. I didn't is, know um, that as well. Is, I was very excited when I went to Manchester the other day because I could legitimately get the tram. Yeah, but you, you wouldn't... Exactly that. You, you don't have a sense of, oh, right, so I'm, I'm clearly between two cities here in the conurbation. It's just like, at some point, you're like, oh, wait, am I in Wolverhampton now? Yeah, because um, the black country sits between them, and you wouldn't know. Like, my, my dad lives very close to the, the borders in Birmingham. He's just on the Birmingham side of it, but literally his local pub slash curry house, which is both at once, which is a great Birmingham innovation, by the way, the fact you have pubs that are always at curry houses, that's technically over the border in Sandwell, despite being five minutes away. And you you just wouldn't know. It just happens to be where the old county boundary is. But also, the other thing that both Worcester and Solihull have got, and therefore I presume probably other places in the Midlands do that London doesn't have, are those big... What I think was kind of posh, sprawling housing estate, totally full of, you know, what I guess would have once been called Barrett Homes or whatever, you know, where there's actually enough room to build lot new houses, but big new houses, you know, five bedroom new houses, and actually not that much infrastructure apart from roads to support them. And that's something I think that is quite Midlandy, I guess, because in the big cities of the north, I don't know if you quite have that in quite the same way. Daniel Knowles from The Economist grew up in Birmingham and he once told me he felt kind of like it. It was an American city in that sense. That it is very built around the car in a way that's quite unusual for. for you Britain. could imagine there being white picket fences. Yeah, I think that's something that people when people think about Birmingham, they think about the city centre, but it has got these big, very nice suburbs too. So, in terms of the the actual uh, mayoralty itself, am I imagining things? Was this was this in the original proposal, and it's now changed, 
Or is it still the case that there are people in Coventry who can't vote but will notionally be governed by this mayor? Am I wrong? You are wrong. Right. There were for a while, I don't know if they're still out, there are non-constituent component. I don't quite know how this works. It means they kind of get to be in some of the meetings, I think, but they're not actually governed by the mayor in the same way. So it'd be the equivalent of, like, you know, Watford or Epping Forest or something, kind of sticking their head around the door of the occasional meeting in London on the grounds that, you know, they also have the tube, but they're not within Greater London, so they don't get the vote. Can I do my quiz, then? Can you name the seven areas which will be covered by the new Birmingham Metro Mayor? John, silence you first, because let's have Stephen have well, a crack Well, obviously I can. It's easy. Ooh, okay. them's fighting words. Them's brummy fighting words. Birmingham. Yes, good. <laughs> Strong start. Solihull. Correct. Which the kind, is the kind of the thing you have to know about it. Is I'm it's the, the price, kind Stephen. of place which uh, has a John Lewis and is very proud of it. Um, one of the candidates literally told me the same thing about Solihull. No, this, this, this is this is a real thing, right? And it, 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 and once you, if you understand that fact about Solihull, you will understand a lot of facts about the way it votes at Wolverhampton. Yes. Um, We've just mentioned one of them. Begins with a C. Oh, for heaven's sake. Coventry. Coventry. Rhymes I, with all. No, I'm sorry, you're Coventry. not allowed to... How can I be expected to do this if I'm being heckled? <laughs> well, you... Yeah, you can. Okay. Uh, Sa- uh, Sandwell? Yes, good. I thought that was going to be a tough one. Uh, that is the tough one, because that's the one that isn't really a place. What about the one if I do more of an accent that's like this? What are your accent? Is that meant to be? Is it meant to be... It's from Dudley. I mean, listen, how can I... Li- literally, I, I, I would like the record to state that I did not fail, fail at this task. <laughs> that two was a people, great clue. <laughs> two people shouted work. Yeah, but I haven't been given the chance to... Okay, you've got one more. We'll give you all the... Because t- God knows... This tense silence is going to make for a great podcast. One more, Stephen. You can do this. The great thing is I can extend the tense silence. (laughs) (laughs) Indefinitely. 30 minutes later. Coalfield is actually... Sutton Coalfield is actually... No, outside. Well, no, hang on. No, you're right. Sutton Coalfield is in Birmingham. It only only got added to Birmingham in, I think, 1974. There is a very nice animated map in the Birmingham History Museum. Which is, fun fact, why it is one of the... It is the only Birmingham constituency not called... Birmingham, you know, like Birmingham Edge Baston, Birmingham. Uh, I don't know. Walsall, it's Walsall. There's not. Oh, David Winnick, I should have known that. There's yeah. not a lot about Walsall to recommend it. Sorry, Walsallonians. Anyway, Walsall as we is keep... fascinating because it is it is a safe Labour seat at a Westminster level, but it is a swing um, seat at a local authority level. Okay, we're we're going to we're we're going to pivot now. We're going to hear from as as we keep kind of hinting, but not really getting into. There is going to be the West Midlands mayoral election, which covers these seven boroughs, and we're going to hear from two men who are. Let's be realistic. There are more candidates in the race, but one of the two people you're about to hear from is going to win. So first up is Labour's Sean Simon. So I think it's fair to say that this has been a long term ambition of yours because you you actually stood down from parliament to get Birmingham a mayor didn't you I did I stood down from parliament and the Labour government um, seven years ago in order to campaign for us to have an elected mayor in Birmingham rather than this different West Midlands mayor but yeah devolution has been a, a, a big theme for a long long time Make your case a little bit. Why do you think uh, a mayor would do would really help out a region like the West Midlands? Well, going back to that time, it was actually being a Labour MP and a minister in a Labour government 
which made me realise that only by controlling our own region could we ever really fix our own problems. Under the Labour government, we had 11 uninterrupted years of continuous economic growth and effectively full employment in the United Kingdom, and yet a very serious structural unemployment problem uh, in Birmingham was untouched. And even now, seven years later, or ten years from the middle of that miracle, four out of the five constituencies in the whole United Kingdom with the worst rates of unemployment are in the city of Birmingham. So that is not a priority, clearly, for national government. They don't care. It's not on their radar. They don't ha- and they don't have the tools or the ability to solve those problems. So the only way I came to realise that, that we're ever going to be able to tackle our problems in our place is by owning and controlling the institutions of our own government and controlling our own money. Let's break that down a bit. What in concrete terms would you want to do as, as Mayor of the West Midlands to tackle a problem like that? So starting with, with money... We have to revisit the Barnet formula, which has passed its sell-by date. Uh, even Joel Barnet himself has subsequently described it as a catastrophic mistake. The public expenditure per head in London, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland is at least 10,000 a head, um, in some cases a lot more than 10,000. In England as a whole, is 8,816. In the West Midlands, it's even less than that. So we pay the same tax as the devolved places and we get 20% less in public expenditure per head. That's not acceptable and that is something that a... If I'm the first West Midlands mayor, that'll be one of the first things that I'm talking to the government about. And I know that they're not going to say immediately, oh yeah, fine, we'll, 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 we'll soon sort that out. But it's been taboo for 40 years for English politicians to challenge the Barnet formula. If I'm elected on a manifesto by the 2 million voters representing 2.8 million people in a wider combined authority of 4 million people in the West Midlands with a mandate for our fair share of the national pie, then I think the government has to engage in a conversation. Let's, let's kind of talk about the geography of the region a bit, because originally when you stood down from Parliament, it was a, a Birmingham mayor you were trying to bring into existence. But now we're talking about the entire West Midlands metropolitan area, which is three cities and four other boroughs, and they, they're, they're not always the best of friends, let's, let's put it that way. How, how do you envision sort of bringing together such a, a complex and diverse region? So historically, I don't think we have in the West Midlands been very good at working together. We've been less successful than Greater Manchester, for instance. However, I don't have any doubt at all that that the West Midlands is a coherent cultural and economic entity. From Wolverhampton in the West to Coventry in the East, um, we share a, a, a heritage and a culture and an economic shape. It, you know, we're the home of manufacturing This is the region where we built the first steam engines that completely changed the face of the world, where we built the Iron Bridge, the Jaguars and Land Rovers. And even now, if you look at the world from space, there are five centres in the world of automotive output. Stuttgart, Bavaria, Tokyo, Detroit and the English Midlands. We make more cars now in the Midlands than we ever have. Uh, and we're at the very cutting edge in Coventry and Warwickshire of 
um, electric, battery, driverless car technology. It's the next generation is all here in the West Midlands. We're, a, we're an automotive region, a manufacturing, engineering, exporting, we're all, but we're also, by, by a mile, Britain's, the United Kingdom's leading cultural centre outside of London. The, you know, this is the region of Shakespeare, George Eliot, the finest English novelist, Elgar, the quintessential English composer, Tolkien, the busiest theatre in the United Kingdom, sells more tickets than any West End theatre, heavy metal music born in the black country in Birmingham, ska music from Coventry, more Punjabi music made in the West Midlands now than in Punjab, and so on and so on and so on. That's the West Midlands. You forgot curry, I'm surprised curry wasn't. Well I, well, I haven't been talking about food. That was just money. That was just engineering creativity. But I mean, Shakespeare. Shakespeare is the most important cultural figure in the history of Western civilization, and he's a West Midlands person. Um, that is the region, and it's not. That's not Coventry or Birmingham or Wolverhampton or the rest of the Black Country. That is the entire West Midlands. We share that. Jaguar Land Rover has operations, significant in op- operations, in every one of the seven metropolitan boroughs. These are region-wide strengths which we share, and we share, I think, uh, characteristics as a, as, as a people in the West Midlands. There is a, a very understated, self-deprecating West Midlands style that is true in Coventry, and it's true in Birmingham, and it's true in the black country. And I know I was just bragging about how extraordinary we are and that's because that that's that's part of my job particularly in a region which hasn't done it for the last 200 years do you think the region has sometimes been forgotten slightly because we do it feels to me like i mean just i'm I'm london media scum obviously but it feels to me like we talk about the north and particularly manchester rather more than we talk about the midlands and i'm just wondering if it feels like that to, to you as well yeah, that's exactly how it feels to people here. That's exactly how people feel. And you're not scum, John. I mean, <laughs> let's be fair, you're not no, scum. No, I definitely am scum, but not because I'm from <laughs> London. That's just, yeah. <laughs> this is a world centre of engineering, a world centre of culture and art, and we're the most super diverse region in the world, pretty much. There is nowhere, it's certainly not in Europe, with the, the breadth and depth of diversity that you'll find in the West Midlands, which is one of the reasons why... We're becoming a world centre for translational medicine. Our super diverse population enables our outstanding universities to do research at a pace that you can you can't do anywhere else. And we're the youngest we're the youngest region in the United Kingdom. Birmingham's the youngest city in Europe outside Turkey. Like the, the, this is an extraordinary place. And yes, pe- people who don't live here and aren't from here don't know and, or understand it. But actually, people who do live and are from here don't tell this story either we don't tell this story to ourselves we've lost our sense of pride in ourselves and that is part of what this is all about i, I should tell you the kind of people listening to this podcast are by and large going to be nerds they're going to be interested in like transport and land use policies and that kind of stuff so can you give me a sense of what's in the manifesto and what your priorities would actually be in, in forgive the pun but concrete terms in transport terms we are talking about a £4.40 a day cap on bus and tram fares across the region. Currently there are 20 different tariffs to travel on buses and trams in the West Midlands because uh, we don't have franchising uh, in the way that London buses uh, are franchised. So the manifesto also commits to bus franchising. We need to control our own transport system in order to 
run it better. We want to double the size of the tram network, particularly in the black country, particularly from Birmingham out through the east to the airport where we want to co-locate the HS2 and with a terminal with a new Birmingham airport terminal. And crucially, one for the nerds, this is a dividing line. We have to have a second runway or the, at the very least the the space for and make the plans for a second runway at Birmingham Airport if we're going to be the kind of global economic region which we can and should be already if Birmingham and the wider West Midlands was a country it would be the 58th biggest economy in the world uh, but we have an airport that wouldn't serve a, a small town on a small island so we have to be prepared to massively expand the size of our airport over a long term that's a long term plan but we we need to take responsibility for thinking long term and we need to nationalize the m6 toll the government needs to nationalize the m6 toll congestion costs business in the west midlands 3 billion pounds a year the government could buy the m6 toll for half that just in in business cost terms it's a no brainer let alone the terrible effect on people's health. As with the stuff about the Barnet formula, this is kind of relying on a Tory government to give you as a Labour mayor what you demand. How likely is that? It's not likely that they're going to give us everything that we want the week after we're elected. However, you have to take the United Kingdom government at face value when it says that it believes in devolution. I genuinely do believe that the the government understands that the the massive, huge imbalance in the British economy and indeed in its government, um, by far the most uh, unbalanced country in the developed world, that this is a huge break on the competitiveness of the British economy, the, the whole British economy. So I do think that the government actually is reasonably serious about devolution and if I'm elected on a manifesto which is very clear about the direction that we want to take and it's full of specific uh, commitments on devolution as well as particular policies then I, I think there are some areas that will move faster than others a lot of this is about Whitehall resistance there are some Whitehall departments that are actually quite keen on devolution, there are others where they're very defensive uh, determined not to let go but this is this is an inevitable process that the united kingdom has to do this particularly post brexit we have to become a much more regional and regionally balanced country and economy i think it's fair to say that at the moment these elections are going a little bit below the radar people don't necessarily know what these posts are or what they're going to do so what would you do within the first i don't know 100 days so that people sit up and say, OK, this is why we've just elected the Metro Mayor? That's a, that's a good question. And we, <laughs> we do have quite a lot of plans for things to do in the first 100 days so that people sit up and take notice that they've got a new mayor. I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you now what they are <laughs> because I think they will have less impact at the time if I do. But it's actually also not just about the first 100 days. The first term is very short. It's only a three-year term. And... It's not surprising now, in advance, in the abstract, that people are not as engaged as one would like with an election for something that doesn't even exist yet. The test is after three years. Have we by then made a really meaningful difference to people's lives? 
have we built new houses? Are we cleaning up the private rented sector? Are we tackling the, the appalling, shameful Tory epidemic of homelessness that is blighting the West Midlands at the moment? We know how to do it. It's just a matter of caring about it and bothering to get it done. And after three years, I'd like to think that people will be able to say, actually, we can tell that our place is different now to how it was three years ago. And it's because under a mayor, we've started taking back control of our own place. We've been run by the National Centre for too long and it, it doesn't work. And the successes that we have have been in spite of being run from London. And the problems that, that, that endure, many of them could have been fixed a long time ago if we'd just been given the tools and the freedom to do so ourselves. Okay, so that's, that's Labour covered. It's a Labour, it's a theoretically a Labour area, so he should be the favourite. But I think there's going to be a fairly strong challenge from this next man, the Conservative. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And former boss of John Lewis, Andy Street. And uh, when I interviewed him, it was, in fact, at the cafe of Birmingham's flagship branch of John Lewis, which apparently you know, someone told me he does all his interviews there for some reason. Anyway, here's Andy. Do you want to start by telling me what the core themes of your campaign are? What are the things you're really trying to push? So I guess there's two core themes. The first is that I'm a different type of politician who comes to this with business experience and a whole sort of attitude which says we've got to put a plan together and then we've got to be able to deliver that plan. So think about the job of the executive mayor and what skills are required for that and who's got the right background and experience to do it. And then the second core theme would be 
we've done relatively badly as a region for the last, uh, well, 40 years, really. It's a long story of relative decline. That's beginning to turn, and the recent economic data is much, much better. But there's a hell of a long way for us to go back to regain the leadership position that we had as the most vibrant, prosperous region in the UK. And it's really saying, what are the powers of this mayor? How can you actually achieve a step change in performance through using those and the region all pulling together? And again, who's the person who's going to lead that and deliver that restoration of leadership? One of the things that I find interesting about the the Midlands as a region is that until relatively recently, it was as rich as London. I think it's as late as the 1970s. The average salary in the Midlands was as, as high as it was in London. It's kind of it's it's relative decline happens much later than that of the North. How do you fix something like that? What do you do to kind of get the engine running again? Uh, you're absolutely right. The long view on this is if you compare it with the North, we did not suffer the industrial difficulties that the North did immediately post-war. And uh, as recently as the 70s, as you say, there was full employment and the highest average pay in the country was here. So what has happened is the deindustrialization uh, occurred and was very, very painful. And we moved to very high levels of unemployment. And of course, wages fell relative to other areas of the country. So... Uh, what you've actually got to do is exactly the opposite of what's happened over the last few years. You've got to actually think about which are the industries of the future which are really going to where we can be globally competitive. How do you make sure that you pull all investment behind them? And then how do you make sure that we've got the people trained to be brilliant in those areas? So it's about an economic plan focusing on our successes rather than, frankly, as we had in the past, defending our weaknesses. This sounds a lot like an industrial strategy, which is not something that's been very fashionable for the last couple of decades. I mean, is, is, is the mayor really going to be empowered to, to do that kind of thing? Uh, it is an industrial strategy. And oddly enough, uh, our recent success here, so let's just be clear, uh, over the last five years, I've been chairing the local economic, uh, the local enterprise partnership, and we have seen the fastest growth of any city in the UK has been here in Birmingham. That is not well known. We have seen substantial reductions in uh, unemployment, faster than the rest of the country in an area like Coventry, you'll find that youth unemployment has come down by 60%. So we have had success in the recent immediate past. And the critical thing about that is that has come about through pursuing what I would call mini industrial strategies in those LEPs. So yes, it might not have been fashionable, but that is exactly what we are trying to do in the uh, combined authority going forward. And the recent success would would encourage us to pursue that route. So what are the industries of the future then? There's probably four that I would pull out where we've got a genuine um, uh, advantage. The first, of course, is advanced manufacturing and our prowess in automotive and indeed in aerospace uh, would be clear evidence, a globally competitive cluster. And that's not just my view. Any academic research would tell you that. And, of course, the industry that's particularly important to the future there would be the whole question of electric vehicles. And uh, that's a, a race between us and Stuttgart in Germany and a combination of Detroit and Silicon Valley in the US. That industry needs to be based here. The second piece would be all around uh, life sciences, where, again, we've got a wonderful cluster based around uh, medical research. And that, too, obviously produces high pay, has high investment uh, as well. We've already seen the third one would be uh, the whole uh, question of uh, tech and digital, where if you look at our startup numbers, 26,000 startups in Birmingham alone last year, over half of them in that sector. So again, an emerging cluster coming there. And then the fourth one would be professional services, where again, this city has the uh, second biggest cluster outside London and already is trading on that internationally. So four areas, you could talk about others, you could talk about the advent of high-speed rail here, but all areas where there is high pay and high investment prospects. 
you've, you've instinctively slipped into talking about this city because it, it, it does... It's just how the words flow out naturally. But, of course, the Midlands isn't one city. It's three cities and a bunch of other stuff. So how do you... You know, you would be the guy representing all of those. How would yeah. you kind of manage the relationship between all yeah. these different areas? Yeah. Okay, it's a great question. And the reason I said this city in the data was obviously until recently I was responsible for the local economic, uh, local enterprise partnership for this, for Birmingham and Solihull. But actually, if you look at the performance, actually the best performing area has been Coventry in terms of, if you look at some of the stats around innovation, if you look at the actual startup numbers, Birmingham would be the best. So different elements of the conurbation have different things to, uh, to contribute and the great thing about the coming together in the combined authority is that if all the seven councils realise that they will be stronger together than just working on their own that's the sort of whole sort of premise of it and it give you one example of why that's obviously so if you think of Jaguar Land Rover uh, they've got an engine plant in Wolverhampton production facilities in Birmingham and Solihull headquarters in Coventry Research at Gaydon so it is clearly a West Midlands region piece so we've got to think about transport about skills, about housing on a regional basis. So actually, it's a great opportunity for us. You could have said to me, historically, this place had all argued amongst themselves, and that's one reason why we underperformed. That is largely true, and this is a great new opportunity, and our local political leadership have done a great job bringing that together. Yeah, no, I mean, I was surprised and impressed when the deal came for at all because I, I imagine this is going to be one of the regions where it proved quite difficult, but actually everyone did seem to recognise that they're going to be stronger as the West Midlands than they are as Birmingham and Coventry and Wolverhampton and so on. That is categorically true and all seven councils endorsed the deal and actually I think that the experience of the last five years of the local enterprise partnerships for Black Country, Birmingham, Solihull and Coventry working collaboratively between business, academic and politics have actually given people confidence that by working together they do actually achieve a better outcome. How are you going to actually bring people together in a sort of literal way? Because I, I don't think you'd, find, you'd struggle to find someone who felt that transport in this region was particularly one of its strengths. I mean, how, how are you going to sort of just be able to connect people to jobs? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, transport in this region is not one of its strengths. I actually think it is probably the most obvious thing in the mayor's inbox. And the good news is that we have actually got uh, new capital for investing in that. So as part of the deal, and you've obviously read it yourself, Johnson, as part of the deal, we got £4.4 billion, which was called the HS2 growth deal. And that's 4.4 of the total £8 billion investment. So the growth deal is not to build the railway, it's to build connectivity to the new railway stations and that is actually the sort of uh, the, ca- the new cash sum that enables us to improve public transport so we've talked in our manifesto about four elements of that reopening disused railway lines there are lines that are carrying freight but can be reopened to passengers big sums of money but not impossible sums of money by London standards quite small actually we've talked about extending the metro if you want a piece of evidence of how we failed as a region actually we've got just 16 miles of metro or tram from here to Wolverhampton we need it across the whole conurbation and there's cash for that and then of course we talked as well about cash for cycling I've given a commitment in my manifesto 20 fold increase in sorry 40 fold increase in uh, cycling cash Uh, We spend a tiny, tiny amount of money, 25 pence per head, compared to 20 pounds per head in um, London. No surprise, very little cycling for commuting here. And then, of course, we've talked about improvements to bus services as well, which at the moment are just snarled up in the congestion. So a full plan to get people out of their car. Told you we were doing this in John Lewis. (laughs) 
clash of history and current. Uh, so, yeah, so there's a full plan there uh, to begin to get people out of their cars and invest in public transport as we need. It sometimes feels like the Midlands doesn't get as much attention as certain other parts of the country. I mean, like a lot of the attention in the debate of the last few years has been focused very much on, on Manchester, which I think may have stolen Birmingham's crown as the second city. I think it's certainly a more competitive title than it was. So what, do you think that's a problem for the region, that it is sometimes a little bit forgotten? All I'd say is you need to look at the evidence rather than the PR spin. So any evidence of which city is making the bigger contribution, it's very clear. It's Birmingham around uh, the size of the economy, inward investment, jobs created, all of those things, it's absolutely clear. What I do accept is that Manchester have won the PR battle and uh, we've got to do a much better job. And this comes right back to the purpose of the mayor, actually. The mayor has got to get out there, champion this region around the world and, uh, and get the best deal out of central London for uh, investing here. So categorically, there is a job to be done. So we've got to win the City of Culture bid for Coventry. We have got to win the Commonwealth Games bid for Birmingham, as well as making damn sure that the next forms of investment around Midlands Engine are very, very substantial here. If you look at the raw numbers, the West Midlands is a pretty good Labour stronghold. Now, actually, the the bookies have a rather different idea of where this might go. But what is your... How do you overcome the fact that this is a, a Labour area? What does your winning coalition look like? Uh, so you're right. It has historically been a uh, Labour area. And when I kicked off on this on September, we knew that we needed a Herculean effort to um, overcome that. But the numbers, um, depends how you judge the numbers, of course. 21 out of 28 parliamentary seats. But if you look at the last general election, we only need a 4% swing on the total vote to win this. So it's slightly deceptive, this 21 of 28, 6 of 7 local authorities. And the way we're going to win, it's very simple. We've been out and about telling our story for the last five months. And critically, people are realising that this is one job, one person. Who is the best person for this job? It's not about electing a Tory slate or a Labour slate for running something in the way in which you do when you select a Prime Minister or a leader of a city council. And we are getting the message across that my background, ability to build that coalition, to use your word, to lead a group of people and then to deliver a plan does give me a very, very good chance. And if you ask me to bet at the moment, we're absolutely in the fight. Always as the challenger here, but absolutely in the fight. Okay, so we've heard from those guys. Who's going to win, Stephen? I think it's going to be Andy Street uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, obviously, I haven't been up as recently as you have. I am going to go up in the next couple of weeks, so I reserve the right to come back going, oh, God, this prediction has aged very badly. I think it's going to be Andy Street for a couple of reasons. One, the Labour campaign keep telling me that their plan is, and I'm going to use my um, my ethnic minority privilege and, and say this more crudely than, than, than they have, then their plan is to get the, the, the Asian vote out, right? Which, you know, if it's a low turnout election and you're the Labour Party, kind of makes sense. However, their messaging is take back control, lots of uses of the England flag, which, again, if you want to win an election in the West Midlands, makes sense, right? Both of those are two legitimate electoral tactics for the Labour Party in the West Midlands. I'm not convinced that they... Necessarily I had this discussion cohere. when we had this when we had the Stoke on Trent by election, and people were talking about oh UKIP UKIP in the Stoke on Trent by election, and I said I just think this is a weird London thing about misrepresenting everybody who lives outside London as being part of the kind of benighted North, mm. and actually like I say about the sort of prosperous market town thing, right? 
there is a quiet prosperity to the Midlands that I don't think, I think is really informative of the political culture, which again is why I would also, again from a position of no real expertise, say that Andy Street's got a very good chance. The West Midlands is just very John Lewis-y. Like it's, it, I can you know as a brand that is a very West Midlandsy kind of brand. Yeah, okay. my, my, I, I mean, I also think Andy Street is, is in with a pretty good chance, but for rather simpler reasons, which is uh, John Curtis, the sophologist, uh, put out some figures basically looking at the twenty. I think it was the twenty fifteen general election results and then rolling them forward based on the swing since then. And he reckons that it's on that basis, it's pretty much neck and neck in the West Midlands. And my strong sense is that if there is any chance whatsoever for Labour to lose an election in this climate, they are going to lose it. So even though it really should be uh, Sean Simons to win, I do kind of think there is a chance it's going to go against him. But also, what are the downsides to, you know, what are the persistent brand problems that the Conservatives have? You know, the nasty party, right? The kind of meanness, um, the, the prejudice. I think when you take that, and, and if we, I don't know, maybe you disagree, Stephen, but you know, I think you said to me on a previous one of our podcasts that you know, when Londoners elect a mayor, they're kind of electing a king, right? And I think there is actually more of a personal thing about mayoral elections than there is about constituency MPs. And I also think that if you think about, you know, John Lewis is a business and it is capitalist, but it is also kind of friendly and ethical and cuddly that I think that again that association does a lot to diffuse potential negatives of the Tory party and also it's like the ultimate sort of like posh aspirational brand right Solid Hole has one and is very proud of it there is one in the uh, I always get my Birmingham Boring. stations mixed up New Street in, yeah, yeah yeah, and and it's very fancy and it's a real yeah I mean I as with lots of people who, who grew up in like lefty Christian households, I really love shopping malls. Uh, but it's a really good shopping mall. So it's and, not the boring. I'm talking rubbish. It's next to the boring. The mall is called Grand Central. Yeah. I should correct that before I get letters. But you know, there are don't lots... laugh. I will actually get letters. No, I know. I, I was just yeah. thinking where John must get a lot. I mean, just and Stephen is often really rude about the Welsh on our podcast, and and actually kind of gets away with it. If anyone Welsh is listening. You're lovely, you're great, and I love you. I mean, I visit it all all the time, I like it a great deal, but I mean, I think, so yeah, my instinct is there are lots of reasons why I would be surprised if Sean Simon won it. I think the higher the turnout is, the better Andy Street's chances. I think Sean Simon will do best on a very low turnout. Well, can you answer me the question about how Sean Simon got elected, selected rather, because I... um, I don't feel a great swell of enthusiasm from on about him from Labour. I mean, my impression, I, I don't have as strong Labour Kremlinology as you guys do, but my strong impression is because Tom Watson is busy. Uh, and <laughs> Sean, also, Sean Simon did stand down from Parliament in 2010 largely to coordinate the campaign to get Birmingham rather than the whole West Midlands. It was a campaign to get Birmingham a mayor. So, so I was feeling that he is, deserved it. But yes, yeah, so I, I think it's just it's kind of seen as his baby to an extent so, yeah, there are a couple of reasons why he got it. One was the expectation, which in the end was not fulfilled for a long time, was that one of the MPs, Liam Byrne, who obviously has run a, secret, uh, a, depart- yeah, a, a government department, Gisela Stewart, would have gone for it. Yeah, there was the idea that uh, one of the MPs would go for it. There are a couple of reasons why that didn't happen, at, one of which was the... I think people realised that Sean Simon, who has been running for a long time and, you know, so obviously became an MEP in 2014. The wonderful thing about being an MEP is you have to be in Strasbourg, but when you're back here, you can basically decide which part of this huge region you are going to treat as your constituency. 
uh, and he has been there for a long time. He also had the support of all of the local power brokers of Unite, of Tom Watson. Um, Unite there is much more like the old, um, I'm not going to remember what the acronyms of TGW, the, the TGU were. Well, so see, I'm this was gonna... my favourite thing when I was looking at the candidates. I found that the communist candidate, Graham Stevenson, is a former TNG official who's on the Unite NEC. And I thought, wow, I'm quite... For the fact that Birmingham has got a communist candidate standing has really made me radically reevaluate my conception of Birmingham. He's a communist with very poor web design skills. His website is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just... It's, like, it's one of those... Where That's like, why the revolution never happened, like, John. The text keeps running the outside the boxes and, and stuff like that. I'm, I want to move I... on to a slightly different okay, question. I, I, can I ask you a question first as well? Okay, because okay. It's my, and this is my pet problem. So they've got the Lib Dem candidate, uh, Beverly Nielsen, is oh, a woman. Lovely Beverly. Yeah. Right. The rest of it, Sausage Fest. Labour candidate for Manchester. It's one woman in Manchester as well. Jane yeah. Brophy is another Lib Dem. Yeah. But realistically, the winner of that contest will be a man. Sue Jeffrey is almost certainly going to win in Tees Valley. So we will get one female. So it won't be a total. Yeah. And Labour could win the West of England slash Greater Bristol mayor. And uh, Leslie Mansell is a woman. It's a woman, Leslie. Okay, so it's not going to be a complete... Devolution is not yet... Has it, not brought it is a bit blokey, though. Yet I mean, more men. Yeah, it's definitely very blokey. But, I mean, I think... I think some of the meme about devolution uh, is very blokey. Is that the, the ones which the media cares about for a variety of reasons. Would you mean Andy Burnham and Steve Rotherham because it's a Labour criminology story? Yeah, but also the West Mids because it's an interesting fight, but it's also an interesting fight that is reachable via train. Uh, whereas It's a marginal, you can go there and back in the afternoon. Yeah. That's, that's always going to get more attention with, from the lobby. With the Greater Bristol one, obviously it is a marginal you can get to by train, but the interesting bit of that marginal, not to, I imagine we'll talk about this more in a future Skylines, but the interesting bit of that marginal you can't, you have to do by car, because the interesting bit is the country. We've kind of talked about who, who is likely to win. We're all, I, I, this is, I'm going to stick my head in the news here, but is there an argument that it would actually be better if Andy Street did win? I've never in my life have I been so disgusted, John. Why do you think that? Because I think we were... I'm kind of like stealing Stephen's lines here so he can have the blame too. But we were talking about this earlier, not on the tape, that it is... And Stephen said what? It is more likely that, that the mayors as an institution will get taken seriously by national government if one of the big ones is a Tory. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the... So I'm going to compound my heresies by saying something positive about Cameron and Osborne, which is actually Cameron and Osborne did take devolving power to people who weren't going to vote the Conservative seriously, right? It was something they actually did. One of the first things May did is basically she created this silly title for the West, you know, the, the Midlands engine. Um, and, and also that, that is the bit they care about. Why? Because it's the bit that they they might win. They also will almost certainly win, barring some kind of earthquake, the, the Peterborough and Anglia one. Yes, Peterborough but, and Cambridgeshire, they were, they were going to be way ahead on that one. Labour's got no yeah, chance. But, um, but, yeah, but, but crucially, in terms of the power out of the, these mayoralties and how much interesting down, interest Theresa May's Downing Street takes in devolving them more power, inviting them on trade trips, all of that kind of, of thing... If they only have one Conservative mayor, what will happen is you'll have a situation where... Um, oh, I've forgotten the name of the Conservative councillor who is going to be 
Peterborough and Cambridge's mayor, he will get to go on all of the trade trips, and all of the other mayors will be, why not me? And they'll do something like, oh, mumble, mumble, research. And even though it'll be something that the other mayoralties obviously relate to too, they'll get away with it. Manchester, of course, has no history of, of yeah. research science whatsoever. The, so. the second you have two mayoralties of two quite different areas, I think that becomes significantly harder. Uh, I also think that the chances of... You know, the worst thing to happen to the GLC was the the change to its composition, which meant that the Tories couldn't really hope to win it again, which was the second that the kind of Thatcher response of, oh, well, if we can't win it, just, we'll just dissolve it, because that's appropriate, obviously. Is there also a controversial thing of saying that actually Andy Street is a very good candidate? Like, he has run a big organisation with lots of different challenges. I mean, generally credited with having really helped, like actually been a, you know, a, someone who's run a company who's actually really helped that company rather than just having to be the guy who was there at the time. And he is certainly a strong candidate and he's not... He, How Tory is he as well? Like, he's, he's a little, I mean, I think he's kind of a sort of Stephen Norris bit of the Tory party in a way. Like, you know, if, if Stephen Norris had won one of the early London elections, I would have been disappointed, but I wouldn't have thought, oh my God, this city is in trouble, which I kind of did when Boris won. Don't blame me, I voted Paddock. <laughs> yeah, I did, Stephen. What it's of a it? Two, it's a two-round system. Yeah, it's a two-round system. You That's can... no excuse. Yeah. Who'd you vote for second? I'm not saying. <laughs> Probably mostly because I can't remember. But you only <laughs> have... Like, I'm, I'm sorry, the London system is really simple, right? You vote for any party you like, and then you vote Labour or Tory in the second round. How can you not remember? I, d- I don't remember. I reckon. But this you... is leaving open the possibility you voted for Boris Johnson. No, I don't. I, I don't know. I was. We were all young once, but um, I doubt I would have done. But I might have just voted for Brian Paddock and only Brian Paddock in a sort of. Then what's the point of a preferential voting system? Oh, because I made my preference known. My preference was for it to not be Ken or Boris. And then you had a second preference. <laughs> is there more quiz? This is for John. Oh, okay. For ten points. How many households are waiting for a council house in the Manchester uh, in the Birmingham metro area? Um, let me think. Probably, I, I don't know why I'm thinking as if there is a process going on in my head. <laughs> Twenty thousand. I'd say fifty thousand. Incorrect, John. Correct. Fifty-three thousand three hundred seventeen. I think yeah. maybe somebody told me that figure at some point and it's just lodged at the back of my well brain. Well done. Um, in which of the seven areas is the green belt a huge issue? Stephen. Oh, me? Yeah. Unless there's another Solid Stephen. Hole. Yes, correct. Although in Birmingham, they were trying to build on the green belt up in southern Colesfield, uh, but then MP Andrew Mitchell decided he didn't like that idea, so they're not going to do that anymore. Boo to MP Andrew Mitchell. I've been to the green belt in Solihull. It's not, I mean, it's not verdant lakes and pastures. It's I mean, a large fields. chunk of it is an airport. So. <laughs> Birmingham International, right? Yeah. 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 And then it's the the road to Birmingham International Airport with some fields and paddocks around it. It's not, you know, it's not the Rockies. I'm going to be honest with you. Sorry, people of Solihull, but you feel me. So who has got the biggest, who has pledged the biggest fund to clean up the brownfield sites? Is this of the big two or is this? This is the big two. I'm going to guess Andy Street. And actually, that is the other, like, slightly grim truth. And if I was in the West Midlands, seeing as we know that the Conservatives love to devolve the axe to their political opponents there is like this slightly grim truth and if you look at any report on where the the cuts have have fallen it's massively in your interests on a local level not to have a labor council so which is quite grim but i mean that 
is is depressingly. So what what you're basically saying here is vote Tory or else. I mean, I yeah, and you threw shade at my paddock vote. Yeah, but I mean, I would still vote Labour because I I don't respond well to being threatened. But I mean, I that's not true. I curl up in a ball Twitter left I, to listen to this podcast. I curl up in a ball and cry when I'm threatened. But <laughs> but I mean, and that was the really bleak thing in Copeland, right? Because that was a fairly explicit part of the Tories' message when they were like, "If you vote Labour, you know, no one's going to save your hospital if you have a Labour MP." And, you know, brutal, but it worked. Yeah. What was the answer? Well, I see. I think Andy Street has promised two million, and I hear that Sean Simon has pro- pro- promised five hundred. Sorry, two hundred million, and Sean Simon has promised five hundred million. But to be honest, it's those kind of figures where I just feel like they're saying millions now. Just, so I'm not really. If elected, I will stick. spend a million squillion dillion pounds. I will build are you sure fifty you don't mean five million cabillion. No, like, like these are in the hundreds of millions. It's they want to clean up. Brownfield it's, sites. It's because expensive. it turns out, yeah, cleaning up Brownfield sites are really expensive. This is why we don't build more in Brownfield. Because it's not that the land isn't sludge. there. It's because it's literally, you know, you will get cancer and die if you live on this land. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, we'll see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.